Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas. I'm one of the co-hosts, and I've got one of my other wonderful co-hosts with me today, Jeff Rutt. Say hello, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. (laughs) Well, we have a special treat for everybody today. We have Steve Brooks, who is the founder and CEO of Grand Homes in Dallas, Texas, with us. Say hello to the people, Steve. Hey, guys. Well, we're excited to we're excited to hear your story. And you know, whenever we have a home builder on, of course, Jeff Rutt is a home builder. So I had to talk about uh, shop and, and their industry. So I'll ask a couple early questions, get out of the way, and let Jeff do it. But you know, we always start off, Steve, by just asking some questions about where you grew up, what was that like growing up, that sort of thing. Can you tell us about that? I was born in Ardmore, Oklahoma. I grew up on a Shetland pony farm, so I got a little horse sense at an early age and a lot of chores around the farm. We moved to Denton and then to Houston and uh, grew up in a place called uh, Spring Branch. was just like the movie Sandlot. No locks on the doors. The neighbors walk in. Very, just a great neighborhood. We grew up Presbyterian, Christian values, went to church every Sunday. My dad was deacon. I put my quarter in every week. And uh, it started out with good Bible Belt values. And my mother reading scripture to us at night in the, the colorful Bible book. And just, you know, never ever doubted that there wasn't a God and it wasn't Jesus Christ in our life. So I was fortunate and blessed to be by my parents and in order to be a part of a family that of believers. And of course, that set the values by which we hard work, dedication, commitment, and those things necessary. And then my dad was an entrepreneur. And uh, uh, later on, when I was graduating from the University of Texas, uh, my two last two years, I had have three jobs to finish. I had no money. I lived in the basement of the fraternity house. Then I was a couch surfer. I was an original couch surfer. I had some friends who let me hang out, so basically homeless at early age. <laughs> so, but uh, working in the gas stations uh, and stuff, I decided I wanted to make something of myself, so Vietnam War was going on. didn't want to go there. But when I went to the vocational aptitude uh, test, they said, Mr. Brooks, you'd be a perfect field general. And I went, oh, my gosh. I was depressed. Uh, anyway, I was fortunate. My first job out of school was I got a job in Florida from Texas to Florida, Miami Beach for Syntex. And I worked as an executive trainee. And I did every job in the business that moved me around. My grandfather was a builder. My dad and I started Grand Homes, so I was fortunate to be, my great-grandfather was a builder as well in Oklahoma, so I had it in my blood, and then it manifested itself by going with my grandpa to work at five in the morning and working on little jobs in Ardmore, and just to hang out with him and do whatever he'd let me do. I got a picture, I'll send you that. Wow. Anyway, I was blessed. I uh, graduated college, University of Texas. I uh, went to Miami, just kept working and working. 
then really liked it. A high rise, I did an office building, a shopping center, big master plan resort, did the land acquisition. Uh, and after about five years, I couldn't, I'm an entrepreneur, I could not take corporate politics. So got a couple of partners from Canada, went out on our own. We bought a company that was totally failed. I moved into a motel. So, you know, from the outhouse to the penthouse and back to the outhouse. <laughs> back to the couch. <laughs> I moved in the motel. They kicked me out of the motel because it's tourist season. We got tourists. So I moved into the model home. I had to clean up every day before I went. Oh, man. Yeah. You know, it started out from, you know, from nothing. And so I wasn't afraid of hard work. And, and uh, my mom was, no one's going to outwork me. And that's kind of helped me along the way. So got there. I think six of the eight guys that were in my training class were CEOs over at Centex. So it was a great training program, but I just had that. I'm, I like I I am. If I were to describe who I am, I'm a. It's a wonderful life, George. Why like? I'm, I'm George Bailey. I wanted to go see the world. I wanted to do stuff, but I had to stay at the building and loan and run the company. So anyway, that that's kind of what happened. I I uh, got my own business, and I realized how hard it was to have your own business. What a commitment! What a leap of faith from that paycheck every Friday to to putting it all out on the line. We turn that thing around, and, and I'm proud to say that uh, within 18 months, that thing was just making a lot of money. We sold out in 81. I took a, stayed on for 18 months as a consultant, and then I moved back to Texas because I lived in Miami, and it was back during the time of Miami Vice. And, and yeah. they got their scripts for Miami Vice off the front page of the Miami Air. Those scripts were real stories. And you'd see it two weeks later, it'd be on Miami Vice. Wow. I lived in a neighborhood called uh, Coral Gables and Coconut Grove where all that stuff was happening. I had two little kids, and I said, I got to get out of here and get back to Texas where people are nice and they don't kill each other. And so we moved back to Dallas and started building custom homes. And then I got about 17 of them going. And then I had a a friend. He said, hey, we're going to do lot development. So we started lot development company. And before I know it, I'm developing 4,000 lots, I mean, 4,000 acres in Atlanta. And in Dallas, we were the largest lot producer for the largest home builder here, Jim Craft Homes. So I didn't know you could make money. I thought I always built houses on the lots I developed. We developed lots, sold them to home builders. So let me get this timeline straight. So what year did you get out of UT? In 73. 73. Like five years or so at Sentex Homes, is that right? In Miami, exactly five years. Five years. You get a couple buddies together. You buy. Is it a fledgling home builder? Is that what it was? Well, yeah, it was a home builder been in business since 1954, and they said, "Well, that's good." But what they didn't realize is they had two sets of books. Oh, all sorts of shady stuff going on, and yeah. we well, we didn't do very good due diligence. Okay, so we'll look at it this way: the ongoing business will be in business. So after we immediately lost six hundred thousand, oh wow, we had to totally change the whole company. It had a terrible image, and so I just went to work, and I worked with a guy that was amazing. He was top sales manager in Arvida, named Tommy Dix. He was on Broadway with Mickey Rooney and Lucille Ball, and he did the song. He did the song "Buckle Down, Wind Sucking Buckle Down." Little short guy, just like Mickey Rooney, 
and uh, Lucille Ball, they used to hang out. And, and this guy was obsessed because he was, uh, he grew up in an orphanage in New York. And he got invited to hear Albert Einstein speak. And he, he left the meeting and was just crying because he realized he couldn't understand anything Albert Einstein was saying. So he became an obsessive reader. And he'd read like three books a week. And this guy, I mean, he was so smart, it was unbelievable. But he couldn't work at the pace that we had to work. And he, his marriage kind of got rocked, and he'd been married to the same lady twice. Wonderful lady. I said, Tommy, there's nothing more important than your, your wife and family. Yeah. I'll take it from here, and God bless you, and thank you for helping me get this thing going again. We hit the selling season, Jeff. We never looked back. We did. We made. We made a profit that year and the next five years, and we sold the company to, to the largest home builder in North America, Cadillac Fairview. Okay, so, so I retired at the age of thirty-one. <laughs> gotcha. So you, so you get five years of Centex, five years turning that sucker around, sell it, and you're like, it's time to go back to Texas, and you go back to. Kind of Dallas, not exactly where you grew up. What, well, how'd you pick Dallas? Well, I grew up in Dallas. Oh, okay. My, my family was in in Dallas, and uh, my brothers and sister, and my mom and dad, and I just I looked at Austin, I looked at Houston, and just ended up in Dallas. Then, then, then my my uh, the guy, uh, one of my friends in college, he said, "Hey, I'm in the development business. We need to pony up and do lot develop." Now he was yeah. in shopping centers, apartments, everything. So anyway, we go out and we we start buying all this property in the eighties, and we did very very well. We're very successful, but he, unfortunately, he had about five other businesses that weren't successful, and so he wanted to consolidate our company with his other losers. And I oh I said I can't do that. To make a long story short. He lost everything. We all lost everything. But I ended up I owed a hundred million dollars and no way to pay it back. Okay, so now we gotta we gotta frame this because I'm guessing the fact that oil went from fifty to ten in the late eighties had something to do with this. Is that fair? Yeah, that savings and loan crisis is what killed exactly. Me. And what so, happened was yeah. we went they, and we partnered with savings and loans, and I was fifty fifty partner with him. And we borrowed a hundred million dollars to develop all these lots all over the country. And when it went south, you couldn't give a lot away. What year were you buying all those lots? This is probably mid the mid eighties. Eighty three. Yeah. Eighty three, eighty four. Yeah. Five. Now here's the good part. There's always something good in it. Something comes along. Sure, of course. But he went bankrupt and left me with a hundred million in debt. And I had to figure out what to do. So I went to the, my partners, my financial partners, and they all said, we want you to stay in this deal and we'll pay you management fees. to get, Right, to work it out. To work it out. And so I had management fees on these properties because they trusted me. Somebody go loan you $25, 35000000 million. They better trust you. That better be the most important thing. And Jeff, as you know, the business we're in, you got the three. You got credit, collateral, and character. And by far the most important is his character. So anyway, I, I was sitting there owing a hundred million bucks and it couldn't give a lot away. So I went down to see somebody that the lawyer and I said, David, I said, here's where I am. I said, 
my interest carrying was 40,000 a day. And I said, Oh, wow. I said, I can see that what's going to happen here. And he said, he said, well, Steve, all you have to do to be bankrupt is just fill out some forms. He said, I want, but I want you to go home and think about this because I know you and I know if you do this, you will not be able to live with yourself the rest of your life. And so I went home. I didn't sleep on it because I couldn't sleep. I had some big decisions to make and I never called him back. Wow. I saw him five years later in a football game. Now that was 1985. I started Grand Homes in 1987. So two years later, I started Grand Homes. And I'm proud to say I paid the last penny back. No bankruptcy. Paid the last penny back in 1995. Wow. That's a, I don't want to miss, I don't want to fly past this. That's a really powerful story, really powerful test of character because there's a lot of people that would have said, you know, there's just no way. I just can't. It's just too steep of a mountain to climb. So most of the guys threw the keys on the. Yeah. I couldn't do that. I, I, yeah. I, I couldn't do that. You know, you have two choices. Do the right thing. Okay. And walk away. And yeah. you got to live with yeah. yourself, I think. Yeah. And I really think God bless that. If you give it fast forward to today, then we're going to come back. Just to give our listeners who are listening in, walking on the treadmill or walking the dog, approximate size of your revenue today, approximate amount of holds you're building, revenue that your that brand does. Oh, today, 525 houses we closed at over a million dollars. So it's about $550 million. $550 million in revenue. And in, in 19, what year was that? 80. 87, but we didn't build our first house till 89. Okay. See, once you start, you got, there were so many, we made a list of anybody that had any money in Dallas, Texas, and it was only about 20 people. Yeah. So, so my partner went out to see some of the guys to try to raise some money to start yeah. a building thing. Yeah. He went, he went home. He was a junior partner. He went home and, and he said, what are we going to do, boss? He said, he said, we could build some houses. I said, have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? And he, he went home, and then I went to sleep on it again on that idea, that hackamamie idea. I came back the next day, and I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to build a house. And so we start, So we started building a house. We won a design award on our first. It took two years to get it going. But we had to go get partners, and we're talking about Lamar Hunt, I mean, the creme de la creme of Dallas, but there was only 20 people in the whole town adding money. And so he went one way and I went the other way. And uh, we learned a good lesson. The first guy that partnered with us was a lumber company. Yep. I wouldn't be, he was our lender. Yeah. And Ed went one way. And, and this guy was an old guy here. He owned Hearst Lumber Company. And he was loaning money to a guy who was selling lots to. And I said, well, he's building the ugliest houses you ever saw. I said, if he can sell 100 houses a year building ugly houses, what can we do if we sell pretty houses? <laughs> and so we were developing the next phase. And I said, well, we don't want to let him build his own. We want to build the houses. So he said, well, I'll give you 10 loans. And when you get to 10, one years. So we go out and we sell 10 like in two weeks. Wow. And this was in 1989. 
Mm-hmm. It was horrible. At what price range were their whole? Our starting price was seventy nine nine. Okay. Our model was one hundred and thirty nine thousand, and it had a gone with the wind circular staircase, lightning windows in the back, volume ceilings, overhanging the loft, and it won a, a design award for the best house in Dallas year. The design awards. We sold thirty four houses the first year. And we, we made a lot of money. Yeah. Now, remember, I'm still I'm still working for the RTC, helping them. Yeah. Earning management fees. So our overhead was low. Mm-hmm. We have never lost money in the whole, how many years is it? 35 years? What is, what's this? Yeah, almost 40. That's amazing. So, Steve, let's go forward to, I knew you won America's Best Builder Award. What year was that? I remember. Twice. We won it. 2015 and no, 2015 and after year, yeah, it doesn't matter. Or something. I, I remember, I remember you uh, seeing the picture in the in Builder magazine. You had your cowboy hat on, yeah, hooked up on the on the on the desk. Yeah. Had that John Wayne look going. But talk a little bit about growing the company, and then I'd love to get into your philosophy on on generosity a little bit. I know you do a lot of things for a lot of different. Organizations, including Hope International, have been extremely generous to Hope. But I, I want to hear the story. Share share the story with our listeners about uh, being at the airport. I believe it was Mozambique, and seeing the toxic charity on the one side of the airstrip. Okay, yeah, and business entrepreneur dignity on the other side. Okay, let me tell you where I got inspired. I got invited to the Hearthstone Award. I think you're a winner, right? And I was, and somehow I got to. Kohler put me right at the front. The stage was five feet from me. And so at the end of the the awards, I think John Whelan won that year. Mm. Uh, David Weekly came running up from the back and he said, Brooks, what? How did you get the front row seat here? And he was a winner. <laughs> I said, David, I have no, I, this is a true story. I said, I have no idea. I think the guy upstairs must have put me in this hot seat up here. Right? Wow. And so, uh, and, and my cell phone went off in the middle of the comedian's speech, and, and I didn't know what to do. I was a head comedian, and he started doing a shtick on my cell phone. It was my nanny with my kid back in Dallas. <laughs> so David said, how did you get to see? He said, I'm going to send you a book. So he sent me the book, Halftime. So for all listeners out there, if you're in a place in your life where God's blessed you and you've done pretty good, you're about halfway through your life, okay, read the book Halftime. And so I didn't read it for a couple of years. We went off on a safari to Mozambique, and I, was, and I took the book. I threw it in my thing, and I took it with me. And so I was out in the jungle, and every day we'd go down this same dirt road. And there, the first day, there was little sticks going up there. I don't know what the heck that is. The next day, there was a roof going on it. The next day, some thatch on top of that. There's some shelves they put in there. About four or five days later, we go by there, and there's Coca-Colas on the shelves. The guy's created in the middle of the jungle in Mozambique a community store. Now, what was great about it was, oh, there's all these people standing around chit chat. You know, like they do. You ever been to Greece? It's all you ever sit around chit chat. <laughs> Nobody works. So it's in the middle of the jungle. Now, the other thing... They called us and they said, we're going to go get these crocodiles. They're eating the kids up in this village. 
and we're going to go up there and kill the crocodiles because they go up on the bike and eat the kids. And so we go up there and a whole village comes out. Now on the way out, on the way up, we went through the town, the slums before the town. It was apocalyptic. It was cardboard shacks. There was smoke from the fires. It looked like some movie from Mad Max or something. It was horrible. And the people were standing there waiting for the UNICEF plane to fly over and drop them food. And I was so caught up with that image. I still see it to this very day. The squanderer and the, the, the hopelessness and the helplessness. Yep. Of these people, all they could do is wait for the food to drop out of the air. Yeah. We go down to the village. We got the big crop. So we, the whole village came out. Hey. And so we're driving back. And my, my son pointed out on the other side of the village were farms. On the other side of the road was farms, the little store, people making a fishing guy, you know, whistling, carrying his fish down. People happy. Involved, you know, hopeful, not hopeless. Yeah. It was a total difference. Yeah. And, and so the story fast forwards several years. I read the book and it says, you know, if you've been blessed, it's time to kind of give back. So this is how the Lord calls you. And so uh, we did Habitat. And I highly recommend that. If you want to get started in something, Start with Habitat if you're in all the business or any business. It's a great, great opportunity to get your people together, work together in a whole different. Habitat for humanity, right. Yeah, and build good team spirit, teamwork, camaraderie, and, and all sorts of good culture in your couple. So what happened, we went back and then, uh, man, we started doing stuff. And then I met another guy and he said, Steve, once you start attracting godly people, to your once they start hiring godly people, hiring godly, people, then they start attracting, and then then you have a culture that's Christ centered. Now we're not we're we're not denominational. We got Muslims here, indigenous. We got everything here, but you know what? We got good people, mm-hmm. and what there's a lot of virtues in all religion. So we don't discriminate. Everybody's welcome in our church. Yep, and so. We did that, and then we started doing these things, these projects and stuff, and, and then I became just a complete sucker for any, somebody who's got a chair, you're, hey, boss, you want to give us some money for this, or a little league, or, oh, okay, yeah, I just don't have to say no. I just saw, but that started the thing from reading the book that David gave me, and then you show up with Harry Bigelow, and you guys got me at the benchmark group, and, and you said, we'll have breakfast. I said, well, I didn't know what that was going to cost me, but <laughs> but you started talking about it, and I and I told you the story. I said, yeah, Jeff, I've seen it. I didn't yeah. know what it was, yeah, but I saw it, and I saw how it empowered people and changed lives from hopelessness, helplessness, squander to people who had hope and family and, and a community. And the, and the difference on that road, on this side, and on this side. So I yeah. saw what you guys were doing, and I immediately went, I've seen this. Now, yeah. it took me in a hope it could have been another micro loan program. Right. I'm pretty sure it was hope. Are you in Mozambique? Maybe not, but but it was, so it was what, you. 
Yeah, what you saw was toxic charity on the one side where there was that UNICEF was dropping gifts. That first gift, there was appreciation, then anticipation, then expectation, then entitlement, then complete de- dependency. And you saw that hopelessness of that dependency. On the other side of the road, you saw dignity being restored as, yeah, and you saw the guy, someone carrying that fishing pole instead of like receiving gifts of fish. And it could be standing around a, a little store, community convenience store. Then there were vegetables in there and, you know, Coca-Cola and stuff like that. And I just, you guys told me, and then I said, well, I, I'll do this thing. And yeah. it was just, it was a blessing. And then, you know, from there. So can I pause you for one second? So Steve, and I, it's, I would be remiss if I didn't share this. So Steve was the first winner of the, the Bigelow Award. Perry, Perry Bigelow, an amazing, sage, wise individual was a builder in Chicago and then in Austin, Texas, passed away this past summer and just had an enormous influence on the building industry, not only in building homes, but also in being generous, was actually president of of Homes for Hope for 20 years. And this year was the first year we gave out the, the, the award honoring Perry to Steve Brooks for, I, it's countless Homes for Hope. I think it's something like $3.8 million that you were able to generate for individuals like you just saw, like you just talked about in Mozambique, and it just goes a long way. Tens of thousands of individuals were, were impacted through that. And uh, we want to continue to keep the memory of Perry's legacy alive through generous business owners like yourself. But fast forward, uh, talk a little bit more about some of the other ministries you've been involved in, ministries in Mexico, you've gotten your team involved. Talk a, a little bit about other ways that you've exempt you know, being an example of generosity through your business and individually. Well, Homes for Hopes, you know, that that clearly to me is 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 the most important part. But what happens when you start doing stuff like that, then all of a sudden stuff starts coming in and other people need help. And I have this friend, he's a developer friend of mine, Clyde Jackson, and you know, I there's some people that that I call Godly and saintly, you're one of them, but he's certainly on the on the list too. But this guy here, uh, many years ago, decided in Kenya that he was out there in Kenya and saw these girls in the Maasai tribe, and they become basically slaves at a very young age. And so he and his wife committed to building a a school, a girl school for high school girls to teach them uh, trades. And now, based upon some of the discussions with you, we now have a trade program and computer program, and we funded the, my wife and I funded the computer program. But he got me involved to help him build schools. We built three schools, I'm sorry, three churches and two schools. He built a giant school. Uh, we, had the, we have each year the uh, Presbyterian Council of Southern Kenya. And uh, I've spoken twice, first time on discipleship, which I didn't know how to spell, but I kind of figured it out. And then this last time on Christian Christian growth and, and spiritual growth, which when you're talking to a Maasai, they're very, very spiritual. And uh, it was, we just, it was an incredible spiritual connection for me because it really took me in my faith the first time on discipleship took me to a little higher level. And then this next time, 
a really high spiritual level mm-hmm. of connection with these people. That's awesome. We didn't even speak the same language. Yeah. We that... thought from the light of Jesus as well. Yeah. Well, was. And, and it was three days of, of just really bonding with, in my group was 22, but there was two over 200 pastors and ministers. That's now, awesome. Then they needed help, so we hit a farm. We put a library in for them. I just got the call for uh, they need some water, and so we're going to figure out how to drill a well. But I got involved in that one, and, and then we it just, it's been a passion. I mean, to go to Kenya and see how desperate they are and go through Nairobi and that. And I really like to find an orphanage over there to, to help with. Just so, children are the important thing, I think. So, Steve, two things. I'd love to have you share a little bit about some of the trade contractors that have come up to your microphone at some of the luncheons and just talked about how it's moved them to be involved in a home for hope. But also, what is the difference? You know, we talked to a lot of business owners, builders, other business owners around the country and around the world. Uh, there's a definite difference between a generous business owner and somebody that's you know, has five hundred billion in revenue and says, you know what, I'm just gonna keep plowing it back into the business and I'm just gonna buy bigger planes and bigger ski lodges and bigger yachts and submarines and whatever whatever else I can put money in to spend it on myself. What do you see as the what are some of the differences? So two things. Talk about the trade, talk about where what are some of those just the differences and what do you think that made that difference in your life that kind of sent you in that direction? I want to talk about the trades because Homes for Hope, you don't, in 2008, I don't know if you all remember how bad the business was. Oh, oh yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> we sold two houses in August of 2008, and the last, from August to December, and those two sales canceled. So we sold nothing between August and December. But in August is when I committed to you to build the first Hope House. <laughs> So I went, what have I done? I lost my mind. So I'm driving down to the house and and I go, well, I was talking to Mike on the phone and I said, Mike, I don't I don't think we raised any money on this thing. We'll just have to write the check and and that'll be good. But 2008 was horrible. I had to lay off 35 people between Christmas and New Year's. Mm. Horrible. It was it was the worst thing ever. And that, I mean, it really hurt. People mm-hmm. I love, I truly love. Mm-hmm. And uh, we drove down there, and as we got close, there was cars everywhere. And we got to the house, there was no place to park. And this was the dedication of the house. And we go in, and I have an envelope. My secretary gave me an envelope. She said, well, here's the certificates. To, thanks to the people who contributed. I went in there, Jeff, the worst of times. Worst of times. Everybody, there were 54 people who had contributed. Wow. In the worst of times. And they wow. would come up to me and were so grateful that we did it. I found people's generosity far more empathy, sympathy, whatever you want to call it, more giving and caring when they're going through tough times. More yeah. To get. Oh, yeah. It's been really good this year. And I'll tell you, you know this. It's hard to get people to contribute in the good times. Yeah. I don't like you said, well, they got to buy a plane or a boat or a jet. Or, but, you know, when people feel the pain, then they understand that they care. 
At least yes. that, that's the way it was for me. So when we finished it, I had two or three. You've met these guys. Tim Wilson, he started out with a loan. See, trade contractors relate. He got a loan. Somebody gave him a start. Yes. He was a cabinet maker and stair maker. And his boss said, I'm retiring. I will give you my tools. Yep. From the Appalachian Mountains. Wow. Poor, poor, poor. He makes the best stairs you've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, they're tough to make. He can and Jeff, will you reset for the audience? You guys are home builders and you know homes for home, but you know, people like me that are outside the industry may not know it. Just can you give 30 seconds on what it's about? Yeah. So Homes for Hope is a Price Center microfinance organization for builders. So we build charity homes here in the US and trade partners like Steve's describing from you know that work with that builder either donate or discount their time and order materials to build a home that looks just like any other home in the cul-de-sac, just like any other home the builder is building. But the proceeds, the net proceeds go to Hope International to fund more loans, to get individuals and families out of that toxic charity and have dignity restored and help them grow in their lives in all, all the domains. One of the things that's so cool about that, obviously, is the impact the home builder being involved is maybe the quarterback of the deal. Absolutely. But what I didn't realize was the trades were in there donating their time and skill. Oh. Yeah, that is uh, super cool. It gets the whole industry together. So that's why you were talking about that. So I just yeah. want to reframe that. Yeah. Yeah, Steve, talk about, I mean, some of the the guys that would come front, just tears in their eyes and talk about somebody giving them a break. Mm. Like you were just talking about. Yeah. we. I mean, we have guys that, uh, Tim, he got his tools. We got another guy. He might be a second generation. You got guys that somebody gave him a loan. Somebody gave him a hand up rather than a hand out. And they started businesses. Now, now, look, there's only one worse job than a construction guy, and that's a cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all the construction people want to own a ranch in Texas anyway. So I don't, this is doubling down. So the thing about this is these are guys that can relate to somebody gave them a hand up. Exactly. Hardworking people. Yes. They all want the same thing, want a better life for their children than they have. And they're hardworking. Now, they relate to a guy over here in Congo or Kenya, yep. or Kenya, but you give them $100 and they go buy a wheelbarrow or they go buy a mortar mixer and lay bricks or they buy a sewing machine. And for some unknown reason, in all these third world countries, there's always a hairdresser. Yep. You notice that? Exactly. So they loan them the money for to get started. Yeah. And they, and then and then they start a business. And Jeff's got hundred thousands of stories. The money these guys now, these trade partners who are plumbers, electrical, graders, they contribute just like they would. They love it because they feel like they're helping somewhere back. Now here's the, the three. These are the most important part. Number one, you get your dollars get a multiplier effect, okay? It's a loan, so it gets paid back. So every six months, it makes another loan. Another six months, another loan. So it's that money is constantly being circulating. Circulating. Now, one lo we build a house, and we, we give all the money. We don't give the net. We give the gross. We're oh, wow. The, we give the whole thing. 
Yeah. So let's say we built a house for five hundred thousand. I think the last one was seven hundred thousand. But we have five hundred thousand. What's the math on on a hundred dollar loan? How many loans will that at a hundred? That's a lot of loans. Loan or hundred? It's like five hundred. Let's say five. Yeah. So what is that? Five hundred thousand. Five thousand loans, right? Yeah. So you're feeding a family of five. Five times five is twenty-five thousand people are being supported by a loan that pays back every six months, and then it's also the infinity factor. Exactly. That will go on forever. Yeah. Okay? And so that money will go on and on and on and forever. So they multiply the value of their gift by infinity. Yeah. So long after they're dead and gone, that's what they like to hear, that somebody up in heaven's going to be thanking you. Yeah. Thanking you, Jeff. No, that's not about me. It's not not about me. It's you coming to that breakfast, Steve. You didn't know what you were in for. (laughs) So talk to that. So, I mean, I think the point there is, and you have, you could give us countless stories, but we got to wrap up here about trade contractors who come up to the microphone in tears talking at their examples of how somebody gave them a break to get started and they can relate to that client, like you said, who's changing their life and they just, they want to do what they can, whether they're, you know, hanging drywall, you know, hanging, tr- you know, fitting trim, painting, concrete work, whatever it is, but doing, you know, drywall for Jesus, I say. And they're able to do that and help somebody on the other side of the world in a big way. But let's, let's finish up before we get to the closing question, Jeff, I know you want to get to is what would you say, uh, Steve, as you think about it, as our listeners are, are listening in, in here, the principles that cause you to have that compassion, that generous spirit to think about being involved in, because you've been involved in a lot of different things here. And what would you say some of the differences are as we think about, because one of the things I think about is the next generation. You know, how do we inspire? And that's one of the reasons we started this podcast. How do we inspire, uh, inspire others in not only in our industry, but just in the business world in general, to be thinking about generosity creatively? Well, for me, first and foremost, love of God and love of my family, and then love and a passion for what we do here, improving the quality of life for our customers by building new homes, because that's mm-hmm. your home is part of the thing. So that that's really important. But I got to tell you, it's a, it's a spark. If you can get a spark from someone that, you know, for me, it's, like I said, I've been so incredibly blessed mm-hmm. by my business and the success financially of my business that I feel compelled to give back. So yeah. I think the important thing is if you're getting on the beginning, read the book halftime. Yep. Uh, but get involved. And I, I'm a home builder, so I think about home builders. Well, do a habitat or something. Just get involved. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife does a lot of stuff at the the food bank and you know, meals on wheels and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I got a call from the Catholic chair and his good friend of mine, Dave Woodard. They're feeding the people during COVID out in the, if you drive through the country, you see people starving to death out in the rural areas around Dallas. Nobody knows they're there. Yeah. So he said, we need to, to buy a food truck. So I bought him a food truck and then we put the food in it and they take it out to the churches around here and, and help feed, feed the people that are starving. 
Yeah. So I think if you can get a hands-on thing that where you can touch and feel and see it, like you don't have to go to Kenya or Dominican Republic or Haiti like we did, stuff like that. But if you just go do what I do here with my Mexico trip is I get my people involved in what, and you get down there and start hammering and painting and, and helping somebody, then you see that what you've done. You see the difference you made. Yes. Like in Dominican Republic and Haiti. Yep. Right. And the difference in Kenya. Man, you, you get down there, it's a cry fest. The yeah. way is yeah. everybody is crying and hugging. Yeah. You'll, you'll get the buck. Yeah. And once you get the bug, you know, for me, I can't do enough. I, I haven't done enough. I got, hopefully I got a lot well, to go to give back. But yeah, for me, it was the inspiration from above. And I don't believe in coincidence. I believe that people like you, Clyde Jackson and Enough. A. Woodward. And, and I want to mention Paul Evans. Yes. The largest building company. And that guy is, he got me involved. He, he keeps dragging me around with these charities. <laughs> and shaking me down, which is good. He's the, the I call him the Apostle Paul. Yeah. He built 27 houses. For- yeah, that's incredible. Well, as we wrap up here, Steve, thank you. We are so grateful for your example, the way you've inspired others around you. Let's keep it going, man. Let's keep impacting lives. I think Jeff has a question for, for you to finish up with here. Well, I think you guys kind of covered it, but, you know, maybe there's, you know, the, you had a few things there, read halftime, do something tangible, take the team, all those kind of things. But we always, you know, like, again, we just think of this as sitting around, having a cup of coffee or having lunch, talking with our friends about stuff that matters and, and recording it for other people uh, so they could be blessed by uh, the, the conversation. And so since we're just a bunch of business owners talking to other business owners, maybe uh, trying to, maybe, you know, right. Well, run on the treadmill and thinking, how can I do something? If you wrapped it up in just one sort of practical tip, what would be the one practical tip you'd leave everybody with? Well, man, I don't know. What, what, whatever somebody asks you to do, do it. Just do it. Yeah. Now, now if they don't ask you, I'm going to invite you to do this. If you're a home builder and you're listening, please come see our booth at uh, the Home Builders Convention and learn about it because it's, it changed my life. It really did. It changed my life and in all sorts of ways. And, wow. I, and I'm so blessed because of you, Jeff, but David and, and Clyde, it's, I can tell you what, I, I get the honor and privilege of hanging out with some saints in my life. And that just feels good. It just for me. So well, you can get involved you. at your church. That's a good place to do it. That's where. No, but, but, you know, I think one of the things that I like that you said is like when you got started, I mean, maybe you said yes to too many things, arguably, later. I mean, at some point, you have to have a no filter, right? But but when you get started, you know, well, actually, in halftime, in the book, they call those low-cost probes. Yeah. Like, right. Just try stuff. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. And then later, you can funnel it into the things that, you know, maybe a little yeah. more concentrated. Yeah, Jim Collins, would, Jim Collins would call it uh, shoot bullets and then cannonballs. Just get the, ch- try some stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I shoot, I'm shooting shotguns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I try to do a little bit for a lot, but I really try to do a lot for a few. Few, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, and I think yeah. that's where it evolves. But it's okay to try stuff. I yeah, think that's. And I had a great filter here. We have a culture committee here. Sure. It just infected the whole organization, and yeah. it, it lost all our trade partners. It infected up. 
And now they come up to me and say, hey, boss, when are we doing the next house? Exactly. I just walked in here. So when are we doing the next house? Exactly. Mexico. I'm going, well, we've been building houses all over the world. But we, this keeps up. But that's okay. That's a good <laughs> thing. But, you know, just get involved in anything. Yeah. And, that, and then it'll start. It'll start. Snowballing. This will touch your heart and your soul. And then you. Yeah. You want to. I've, I've been blessed. And giving back is, is, is just. It's just. It's. It's good. Well, Steve, thank you. We're so grateful. Jeff, I think you missed something on the bio. You said CEO and founder, but you forgot boss. I think uh, most people in Dallas are, hey, boss, what's up? What's next? Where are we going next? El Jefe. El Jefe. I appreciate El Jefe. I appreciate your uh, vision, your generous heart, the compassion you have for others, and the way you use what God put in your hands to impact so many lives around the world. And thanks for being part of the podcast here today. And we are going to wrap it up here, Jeff. Yeah, Steve, okay, thanks so. again. Thanks for being on. Jeff, I'm honored to be here. And Jeff, man, just keep doing the good work, brother. And uh, Jeff, best wishes. Happy New Year to everybody. God bless you. All right. Thank you very much. And thanks to everybody listening to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.